Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Bright, and I'm on a number of committees, Andy. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Minute 47, which begins with Peggy talking about reproducing the program and ends with Colonel Phillips telling everyone that the SSR has been retasked. Back on the show today, we have Jessica Plummer. Hello, Jessica. Hello. Contributor to the Sword, Stone, and Table Anthology. Uh, let's talk about Minute 47. This uh, We are at the SSR warehouse, and it starts, we're finishing the conversation, or the scene, I guess, up in the office with Steve and the nurse. And lo and behold, Peggy's actually in the room. We didn't know that from our last minute, but Peggy is here. And uh, they have a brief conversation about reproducing the program. It's locked in Steve's genetic code. It's going to take years without Dr. Erskine. And uh, this is kind of where we we set things up. How does this scene play for you, Jessica? Well, it's funny watching and I was thinking about our conversation in the previous minute where Schmidt has his whole speech that he delivers to Zola, but facing away from him. And <laughs> I was like, I mean, I would be. It would be weird if Steve talked to Peggy not looking at her, but that's very in character for Schmidt. And then, of course, Steve immediately has a line that he delivers staring <laughs> two feet above Peggy's head and to the right, which he's, he's really sad. He's staring solemnly into the middle distance. He's staring at America. Yes! That's America's sad stare. <laughs> Uh, and he does it well. That's that's why he's doing it, because he does it so well. He, like, he carries the weight, as we said last time, he carries the weight of America on his shoulders. He knows that he has a great profile now, even though it's the same profile it was before. And he wants Peggy to get a chance <laughs> to admire it. It's his public service. That's right. From every angle, from every angle and every light. You know, this is it's really interesting because... Steve, up to uh, minute 38, when he transformed and became, uh, you know, the Steve that we see now, the Chris Evans, the real Chris Evans version, I, I mean, he was very gung-ho, but as we saw in the uh, in the training, he is very, uh, he's not super coordinated, he kind of struggles doing things well. Once he kind of transforms, he seems to really be well, uh, like, do well at stuff, but he also... Has he didn't doesn't seem like he fully um, understood what he was capable of. Like when when Kruger is shooting at him, I mean, like he's dodging bullets and stuff. I mean, he's not impervious to bullets, but still, I mean, he is human. He's afraid of bullets, and I I do think that there's an interesting thing with Steve. Like how much of his brain is still like puny Steve, you know? And and in interacting with with Peggy, I mean, obviously he. I assume recognizes that he is taller than her at like at a moment like this when he's not thinking about it, but still like how much of his brain is still that, that puny guy who's like, I don't even know how to talk to girls and stuff. I think Erskine explained that Erskine told us everything gets bigger, even puny brain. <laughs> I don't think he says the words puny brain, puny brain gets bigger too. I think is what he said. I don't know. I would, I think we missed out on a montage of him. Like, Walking into the tops of door frames. <laughs> <laughs> Walking out of garage doors before they're all the way open. Exactly. <laughs> like running into the, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Or getting stuck in tight alleys because he's not aware of his. He, he thought earth. he could fit. Yeah. 
he thought he could fit. There's there's this there's this element to him that just like sometimes as I watch the film, I'm struck by the fact that there is there's a mentality that young Steve has or young <laughs> puny Steve has that once we get this Steve, it seems like now he's just Captain America Steve. And I feel like they're like internally there's not like a transition for him in his mental space, but maybe that's just reading way too much into, you know, a Marvel movie. He does get a bit more solemn. But he did just see a lot of death really fast. That's right. Well, yeah. Geez, Dr. Erskine just was killed, shot, and then died in his arms while he was holding him. And, you know, he had become very much the father figure for this guy up to this point. So, I mean, what what do you think is going through his mind as far as, like, what Peggy is saying as far as, like, you know, him being the key, all the stuff about Dr. Erskine uh, and all this, I mean, do you and, and, you know, I mean, Steve says he deserved more than this. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about like, is, I mean, the program failing now? I mean, how how is Steve reacting to this? Yeah, does it I guess my question is, does it feel like his sadness about Erskine is uh, is earned? Like, does he feel appropriately sad at what just happened? I mean, Steve is an extremely dramatic person. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think he's ever reacted in like a level-headed way to anything in his entire life. Like this man sees a grenade and jumps on it no matter jumps on it. What yeah. that grenade is a metaphor for. But I think I mean, you know, with the allowance of movie magic and stuff, like I feel like it's earned within the scope of the movie, right? Like in reality if you had had three conversations with a guy and then he made you really swole, you wouldn't be like devastated. You'd be like, God, that was weird. But it, you wouldn't, it wouldn't have the same emotional impact. But I think the way that it's paced out through the movie, like the movie sells it in a way that we as the audience respond to emotionally. Well, and he also is such a patriot that he could be sad at the project. Like his part of the project is to get swole, but it was also to make more of him. And maybe he understands that and is just sad at the devastation that the organization is going to have to figure out how to rebuild. And uh, so, I mean, it could be part of that, too. It's just his his deep, deeply felt patriotism. Well, it also kind of begs the question of like how much conversation has been had since the guy took the cyanide and now like they've obviously decided like take it's either one or two days later depending on what source we believe (laughs) um (laughs) you know they've obviously decided like let's take a bunch of blood samples let's get this guy a shirt that fits like things have progressed so how many conversations have happened and how many of them has steve actually been present for because it's not clear how much he knows about like, is the project totally dead? Is something going to happen with it? Does he have to be there for it? Is he being sent out to fight? Like he gets part of it when Phillips is like, no, you can't come. And he gets the rest of it after he's on the USO tour. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this is a good point to, to move to the next part of the scene because as Steve sees below him, uh, Howard Stark and his team, they are kind of stripping this Hydra sub, trying to figure out what technology it's using. Meanwhile, Colonel Phillips walks in with Senator Brandt in kind of mid-conversation, talking about what they're going to do next. And it, so, I mean, yeah, so let's kind of move downstairs, and Peggy and Steve will, of course, join them, and you know, see where this conversation goes, because so much of it does rely on this specific conversation, and, and where all of these people 
are leaning because they all have ideas as to how things are going to be handled here. So Phillips is kind of, they have this conversation about Hydra and stuff, and there's this politicians and military and kind of the the butting of heads going on between Brant and Phillips. But what it seems is that Phillips is making a shift in in kind of planning for the SSR. We'll definitely talk a lot more about this in tomorrow's minute, but it sounds like, and I'm curious how you both read this, is Erskine's death the thing that Phillips had really been waiting for? I mean, we know that they kind of were butting heads about the the future of this program and the way it was going to be used and everything. But now, as soon as Erskine's dead, Phillips has talked to the president, changing gears with the SSR, and they're going to push, you know, they're going to basically, we don't know exactly what, but they're being retasked. And I'm curious, like, how, how are you reading this? And as far as, like, how Steve is going to be, is it because of Steve? I mean, do you two have any thoughts on, I mean, I know we're get, not getting the whole conversation, but what we're getting here? Liz, is what, this is what I think. You are, you've gone, like, full Tony Soprano on this minute. Like, last minute, it was all about human testing of the blue beam gun. And now you, I think what you're trying to get us to say is that Phillips was going to rub Erskine out anyway. No, no, like, no, no, no. He was going to rub him out because he wanted to get his way. And I think you're the one who has taken it dark again, yet Kruger, again. Kruger was actually his guy. <laughs> he wasn't even <laughs> part of Hydra. <laughs> No, but I mean, but I feel we we saw at Camp Lehigh that he was very frustrated with the way that Erskine was running this program. And it seems like he wanted Gilmore Hodge to be the guy. Oh, yeah. yeah he was upset. And he was upset that he's not getting the, the actual soldier. And so now that Erskine's out of the way, it's just like, finally, I can do what I want with the SSR. I kind of read that, and especially because, I mean, the last line of this minute is Peggy Carter in complete surprise going, Colonel, like, wh- what are you doing? And, and uh, so I, I don't know. I guess I have to read it that way, that he is making decisions with the SSR that n- no one else would have thought to do. But because Erskine's dead, he is now able to do. Well, is there anyone else? in charge of the science like i know howard's there but he just seems to be hanging out <laughs> because he's zola right like he's the civilian he's the mechanical engineer also whereas erskine is more of the biotech guy i guess right yeah right but it's also not clear to me that howard actually has any power to do anything but advise whereas erskine was running the show like he got to choose the person and i don't i don't know that if howard like if for whatever reason Steve, I don't know, if Steve died tomorrow and they could still recreate the process, would they be like, would Howard be able to say, I think it should be that guy? I doubt it. That seems also like <laughs> authority that Howard wouldn't want to take. No. Like, I don't I don't really care that much about what you're doing. Do whatever you want. Like, yeah, I that feels. But I think I my read on it is that Phillips is a another dutiful soldier, right? He is a guy who is doing his duty and he runs whatever show is in front of him to run as colonel. And he inherited this thing and he's going to do what he thinks is best to do it. I don't get a sense that he is that he was waiting for. Erskine to die insofar as he was he's just now pivoting because this is what he knows how to do. Yeah. Like for him, every problem's a nail and he has the hammer. And he's just not very elegant. Of course, 
the today the SSR is being retasked. Of course, it's being retasked because he's a military guy. He's not a civilian. His his tools are military tools. Yeah, and there's no reason for him to plan on Erskine dying because they're in Brooklyn. <laughs> they're not on the front. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I I'm not saying like he was he was hoping for it, he was planning it. I'm just saying now that he is dead, he's just like, "Oh, okay. Well, it's going to be easier for me to maneuver the SSR to to do what I wanted it, it to do in the first place." He doesn't seem like a a hand-wringing kind of guy. Yeah, like, I just <laughs> I can do what I want with it now. Yeah, like Peggy might sound surprised, but honestly, what else can they do? And I wonder what she would recommend, right? Given this circumstance, there is an attack on American soil by Hydra in the the guy was brought in his car, like into the most secret base. He says it in this minute, like the response is going to be military. That's just what it feels like to me. That's that that's going to be equivalent response. Well, yeah, and, and we'll find out more about the plans and how the SSR is being retasked tomorrow. So we can kind of continue this conversation then. Let's take a step back to earlier in this minute now, and we'll talk a little bit about Howard and what he's up to, because we do see Howard, as I said, working on the Hydra sub. He's trying to kind of break it apart and figure out what it is. How does this play for you? He has this line, I'm the best, well, I should say the whole thing, speaking modestly, I'm the best mechanical engineer in this country, (laughs) but I don't know what's inside this thing or how it works. We're not even close to this technology. So... All right. How do, so Hydra is is Hydra that far ahead of even people like Stark? How does how does this play for you guys? Did Zola invent the sub? Like, is this one of Zola's toys? I mean, he's been well, it's not a Tesseract toy. Right. Uh, you know, we know the Tesseract toys are not out yet. You know, right. <laughs> the kids are still waiting in the aisles for the, for the toys. <laughs> They're waiting for Christmas, <laughs> Christmas morning, eagerly. Exactly. No, but I mean, Zola's been working with Hydra since 1934, according to the wiki again. So, you know, I mean, he's had plenty of time to be doing stuff. We know they've got a giant tank with a with the fist of God on the front. <laughs> Howard can't even make a car fly. Right. Howard's really struggling with the best <laughs> mechanical engineer in the country. But he does know how to make Vita Rays work cro- properly. <laughs> That's right. He did get that gun <laughs> once. I, well, even then, I will say the entire machine shorts out when it hits 100%. So maybe not. <laughs> it still works. It does its job. But it's still the whole thing breaks down. It's possible that Howard's goal with everything he builds is to have it explode in an entertaining fashion. In which case, <laughs> two for two, buddy. <laughs> he understood the assignment. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just wonder about this Hydra, like the Hydra tech, like for this submarine, which I mean, it seems largely like a submarine. It just has the um, the the rotors, I guess, on the sides or and it's not even rotors. I don't know what you call those. Yeah, rotors that they cleaned off of the wall last minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny yes, for people is. who listen to the previous yes. episode. <laughs> you must listen in order. Uh, it's the the. Not the propeller. It's very much like um, uh, the Hunt for Red October with this. What's the one that the silent one called? The Caterpillar Drive. That's what it is. That's kind of what it has. And I guess to that extent, maybe the Caterpillar Drive, if the Russians had it and we were surprised in 1989 or whenever the Hunt for Red October came out, I can see Howard being surprised if Hydra was using something comparable in 1943. 
So I guess I can buy it. But it's a miniature one. It's very small. <laughs> it's a very small one. Which is funny for Hydra because so far everything else is yeah, so Yeah, it's the only small thing that they have. <laughs> Maybe that's why they were willing to like let it go across the ocean. Like yeah, right. It doesn't fit the brand. <laughs> Remainders. That's what it is. It's remaindered products from Hydra. <laughs> Do you think somebody actually came over from Europe on that? Or do you think they, they brought it over and said, professor? I would love it. It took a long time. No, it's probably in a bigger boat. Just, well, just fill all the footwells with like pickled herring and you'll be fed breadsticks. I, I want to imagine that now. I know this isn't how it's powered, but I'm picturing it being powered by like bicycle pedals. <laughs> Poor guy gets out and he's like just pouring sweat <laughs> off of him. It's been 5,000 miles across the ocean. <laughs> but his legs look amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, That's perfect. This, so this is the point where we get a little more, we get a kind of glimpse into what the allies know about Hydra. Uh, when the senator and Phillips and uh, Peggy are kind of talking about this as far as like, uh, well, it's mostly Phillips and, and Brandt talking and, and, you know, they're saying Hydra is the one who has this technology. Uh, it's And then Peggy says it's the Nazi deep science division led by Johann Schmidt, but he has much bigger ambitions. And then Phillips comes in. Hydra is practically a cult. They worship Schmidt, think he's invincible. Where, do you do you get a sense that the allies have spies in Hydra to just to kind of get that sense, or how are they getting that impression of him? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, this is a this is definitely a quid pro quo spy situation. There's no way they would know so much about Schmidt if they didn't have someone on the inside. Maybe it's Zola. <laughs> well, he he does seem to uh, uh, to be the sort. I guess we'll say. Mm -hmm. I do love the the <laughs> the senator. I I make fun of it because it's really the perfect line. I'm on a lot of committees, <laughs> Colonel. Like that is it is such the perfect political wonk response, uh, and demonstrates yeah every everybody's busy and sometimes I can only pay attention to what's right in front of my face. And right now it's this wackadoo submarine, uh, and so I need you to speak more slowly and. Uh, and tell me what I need to care about. Um, so that is the the sort of political ideological worldview of this movie is speak slow and tell me what I need to care about and we'll figure it out. Um, and I love it. Part of me questions as a politician during World War Two, should he know who Hydra is? Like how secret is Hydra for this sort of person, the person who's on committees in the in the government? It feels like there should be a happy medium between Peggy being like, he's a Capricorn and he hates Brussels sprouts <laughs> and this guy being like, never heard of him. But he wears Hugo Boss and he's a lot of fun <laughs> to be with. I think, I, I guess I wonder if Senator Brandt is the liaison to the committee uh, around the super soldier program, doesn't it feel like the super soldier program is at some at some level, a response to German, to Nazi science. Right. And wouldn't he know about Hydra and Hydra leadership as a, res as a result? I mean, I think we shouldn't overestimate the competence of Senator Brandt, who brought a Nazi spy in his car. Like, I think. Yes, 100 <laughs> percent. Like, he's ignorant 
so that they can exposit things that the audience needs to know. Like 100%. He should know, but he doesn't. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, like narratively, he needs to not know because we don't know and we need somebody to tell us. But um, should should he know, should he be expected to know in the architecture of politics and military? I think probably so. Yeah. I think he should. I, I would say 100% he should know. You know who does know is his aide, and you know who's going to get uh, reprimanded after this scene? His aide. His For aide. not filling him in on all the information he needed to know about Hydra so he didn't have to look like an idiot in front of Phillips. And not taking his hat off when a woman walked into the room, because Senator Brandt does. Exactly. Right. Brandt shows a little bit yes, of respect there, and uh, I, no one else. No one else. Senator Brandt's a classic. They don't make him like Senator Brandt. Yeah, <laughs> Back when men were men. <laughs> oh all right uh i don't know any last thoughts on this minute i feel like we've kind of hit all the points for this one and there's there's so much conversation to have about the next minute i'm I'm excited about tomorrow's all right let's do it jessica tell everybody again where they can find you on the socials and uh, what they should be checking out that you're working on so you can find me on Twitter at Jess underscore Plummer, and I'm a contributing editor at Book Riot, where I write about comics and books and comics again. <laughs> what do you What do you do on Twitter? How would you characterize your Twitter? Uh, comics, also still comics. Yeah, <laughs> still just more comics. <laughs> Occasionally angry political retweets. There you go. I was just wondering at what point does Jessica dig into the real? Like really sink her cleats into the turf. And, <laughs> the real, and get real of what Twitter is, you. which is getting yeah, mad about right. politics. Getting mad about politics <laughs> and also comics. Yes. Good. At least we've nailed that down. <laughs> I'm sure she would have had choice things to say about Senator Brandt. Some <laughs> I didn't vote for him. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few hindsight tweets locked and loaded, though. <laughs> Do we ever find out? I have to look now. Do we ever find out what state he represents? Do we know? I don't know why I would assume New York, but it doesn't have to be New York for sure. He sure didn't want to go to Brooklyn, which is a big surprise. <laughs> Must mean he is a New Yorker. <laughs> Never leave Manhattan. <laughs> I am going to have to look that up and see if I can figure it out before our next minute. All right. Well, that is it for Minute 47. Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, Remember, you can learn more about uh, uh, our merch and our socials over at MarvelMovieMinute.com. We'd love to uh, have you check that out. Uh, Thanks, as always. And uh, Pete, it's always a pleasure. I'm the best podcaster in the country, but I don't know what's going on with this thing. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>